This is it, the main event on American Ninja Warrior. Now, back to the Pete McMurray Show. Arthur Smith is the man behind some of the longest-running unscripted series in television history, like Hell's Kitchen or this show, American Ninja Warrior. Arthur Smith's new book, Reach, Hard Lessons, and Learn Truths from a Lifetime in Television. It's Arthur Smith. How are you, brother? I'm excellent. Arthur, you have such a great story, but I have to mention right away, my son is a huge American Ninja Warrior fan. He got the whole family into it. But this reality show sparked a cultural movement where Ninja Jim started popping up all over the place. We have two in our neighborhood that you can walk to. It's crazy. It's incredible. It's incredible what happens. And we hear about kids who choose ninja as their sport. I'm not playing soccer this year. I'm doing ninja. And that is uh, so you know, cool. It, right, it's crazy, right. right? I mean, the show has been on. This is it's our, our Monday night was our 15th season. And um, there's kids who've now grown up with the show. It's been amazing. And, and some of the best ninjas today are, are 15 and 16 years old because they've been training in these ninja gyms. Yeah, you know, it's incredible because this was a little show that started on the G4 network, which doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Somehow, I don't even know what that is. Days. What is G4? I have no idea. Well, well G4 matter. was a game. You're right. It doesn't matter. And uh, how this <laughs> show ended up on primetime and NBC is covered in the book. It's a crazy story of what happened because it kind of Can you give us the sense. cliff notes? Can you give us the cliff notes, yeah. room? For you guys, yes. So what? Uh, so what <gasps> happened was is, I uh, Before starting my company, I was head of program production and news at Fox Sports, and a colleague of mine was running this network called G4. There was a little show that, that was the only thing that was getting a rating on G4 was a show called Sasuke. It was from Japan, and it was Ninja Warrior in Japan, but a lot different than ours. But, the, but there was something in it that I saw that made me very excited, and that was the people who were competing on the show were plumbers. They were dental hygienists. They were teachers. They were ordinary people. And most of them failed. Most of them really were not very good. <laughs> right. Yeah. But they, but, but they celebrated the attempt. And in it, I saw something that was bigger and broader. And I said, you know, if we can tell great stories and we build this course up, then, um, then I think we have something that's going to be broad and appealing. So um, anyhow, I did the show for G4, thinking, uh, you know, in, in the business, sometimes you just hit singles. They can't all be home runs, right? So right, I said, right. oh, great, I got a case. I got a cable series on, on G4. But as luck would have it, Comcast, which owns G4 and E, buys oh, NBC Universal. Of course. And so right. me being the person sudden. who re- yeah, me being a person who reaches, which is what this the story of my book is, the main theme of the book, I um myself and Neil Tiles, who's the, the gentleman I mentioned, we went to NBC and said, please put our finale on the air, just as an act of synergy. Never, ever thinking I'd be in my 15th season having a conversation about this today. And um, the show went on. It went opposite Hell's Kitchen, which was crazy. We had a show on NBC. We had a show on Fox. Right. And and Ninja, uh, Hell's won the uh, time period at 8 to 9 o'clock. Ninja won the time period at 10 o'clock. We won every time period. They called me Mr. Monday Night for that particular night. It was a great That's night fine. in our company. And NBC <laughs> says, you know what? Maybe we should do some more of these. And eventually... Not a quite, not exactly the Cliff Notes version. I went on for a long time, didn't I? Sorry about that. But anyhow, <laughs> then the show gets nominated for an Emmy Award. And then it gets nominated again and again and again. And, and then we have young people doing it. And then, as you said, we have a sport now. We have created a sport. It's, it's, it's been amazing. And it's all because you took this risk 
of reaching and just asking yeah. to say, hey, put it on. The more you try, the like, luckier you get. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, and that's what I'm asking, because I feel so many times as a woman, I've been conditioned to just kind of take what you're given and not ask for more, not take up more yeah. space in the room. And that to me seems like an instance where I would have been like, uh, don't get greedy. What made you think to just, were you just throwing things at the wall and seeing what would stick? Did you have any nerves asking for more? Well, you know, I, I learned very early on and it's, it's covered in the book. I actually, hard, hard to believe, but I actually was a very, very shy kid. My parents were actually worried about me. But something happened when I was very young, when I was nine years old, and it changed my life. I didn't know at the time, what it, that, that this, this thing was happening to me. But it taught me the power of reach. It taught me the power of extending myself. And I, I, and I learned that when you reach, you find out what you're capable of. When you reach, you learn the difference between a pipe dream and what you haven't dared to try just yet. And somehow subconsciously, like I said, this thing happened to me. And then I started to do it in my life, and, and, and good things started to happen. Now, this book is filled with some great stories about Magic Johnson and Dwayne Johnson and Dick Clark, uh, Simon Cowell, Gordon Ramsay, uh, a lot of really well-known people and my stories with them. But there's also some things that didn't work out for me. And just because you reach doesn't mean you're always going to <laughs> get what you want. You know, there has to be a plan. There has to be a strategy. And but, you have you have to keep trying, right, Arthur? And but you have to keep and you have to keep trying. I want you to get back to a Dick Clark for a second. You're a guy that's from Canada. You did sports for years and years and years, and then you get a call from LA from Dick Clark. Can you tell us that story? Well, it's it's another reach moment. Um, I um, <laughs> I was I started working in sports when I was very young. The story of how I became a producer at 22 years old and then went on to do the Olympics at 24 is nuts. Wild. I still can't believe it happened to me. But what's even crazier is they made me president of the sports division. I was 28 and feeling pretty good about myself and seeing how the streets thing is working. As you should. I was 28. You feel like you're on top of the world. Yeah, it was actually a job I was hoping I'd retire in. So I was like, you know, maybe I should try entertainment. Maybe I should try doing other things. And um, I believe in narrowing the target. And so that so that if you, you know, when I was I believe in picking your target, it's much easier to hit one target than a hundred targets. So I wrote one letter to Dick Clark, and wow. it was and and I wrote this letter. There's this five page rambling letter about my story, and he called me and he said, "Come to LA and let's get together." I had a two hour meeting with Dick, and um, eventually it led to him uh, getting me my green card <laughs> and uh, moving oh, me right. to LA. Yeah, you're from Canada. And, uh, yes, that's correct. You know, he was my mentor and the greatest mentor of my life, and a great friend until he passed away, and. And yeah, it was a it was a special relationship. But uh, and then you know I went and you know I made my transition and and did award shows and variety shows and comedy shows and uh, you know eventually um, you know started my own company. There was a stop at Fox Sports where I was head of programming and production and news at Fox Sports, and I was an executive at Universal. And uh, but I started my company twenty three years ago. And but which Arthur, is the, which is the is dream. What is yeah. it with it Dick is. Clark? I mean, the nicest guy on the planet. Every single person loved him. You never hear anything bad about Dick Clark ever. Yeah, no, he was amazing. He was amazing. You know, he was extremely down to earth, uh, never took himself too seriously or, or thinking of him being too lofty or anything like that. He was just a down to earth guy and very honest. 
He used to say to me that he was so rich that he he just he, he just decided to be honest. No, no, he was actually <laughs> honest. As well. I love no, that. No, he line. was an amazing That's guy. Great. Uh, you know what? A funny, a funny, funny thing about Dick Clark, and this is not in the book. So here's here's the thing that did, <gasps> that 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 is kind of funny. You know, when Dick was, you know, after I had this meeting with him, he was inquiring about, you know, um, trying to get a reference on me. So, you know, he knew a few people in Canada and his closest ally in Canada, closest friend, I should say, in Canada was this guy by the name of Harold Greenberg, who was a movie mogul who produced the movie Porky's. But he also owned a number of cable channels. And he was this this king of Canada type of type of guy. And he said, if anybody's going to know Arthur, it's Harold. And Harold was Dick's distributor of, 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 of his programming in Canada. So he called Harold and he has a conversation with Harold. He goes, hey, Harold, do you know this guy, Arthur Smith? And he goes, of course, he's the head of CBC Sports. And, you know, um, I'm thinking of hiring him. And Dick said, oh, you're thinking of hiring him. OK, have a nice day, Harold. Hung up the phone, called me and offered me the job. Oh, <laughs> Harold. Wow. Now, do you do you Dick, feel Dick, like because Dick was almost a mentor and a and a hand out to you, you know, he helped guide you into this next phase of your career. Do you feel like you have to give that back to someone else when you get a letter in the mail or an email? Do you feel a little twinge to be a Dick Clark to the next guy? You know, that's a great question. And and um, yes, I, I do. But I didn't get that from Dick. I was already trained and ingrained by my dad. My dad was the greatest man I know, the greatest man I will ever know. He was the most grateful person I know. And I, I believe in that. And that's why I wrote this book. And so I'm really happy you asked me the question because it is all about giving back. All the money from the book, all the proceeds from my proceeds from the book are going to the Reach Foundation, which I set up, which goes to charities, six or seven charities who lift people up in some way. Good for um, you. And, and that's, you know, I, I, it's the thing right now in my life at this chapter in my life that I want to do more of. And, and uh, I've been thinking about writing this book for a long time, but this is kind of the dividing line of my life where I want to spend more time giving back, mentoring, and doing what I can. And that's the great thing about running a production company. And I've been doing it for 23 years is people who started with me as production assistants who are now executive producers. And it's been sure. my joy. It's been my joy to, to do that. Can I ask about Hell's Kitchen? Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Tell me the first time you met him. What was he like? Did he is it is on air personality or is that just his real personality? When he's in the kitchen, that's his real personality. Outside of the kitchen, he is the most charming amazing gentleman. Um, he's amazing. When he first met me, it was, you know, it was a, it was, it was very interesting. It's covered in the book, but I will tell you after, after talking about what I wanted to do with Hell's Kitchen, he, he looked at me and, you know, without dropping any F-bombs, he said to me, you know, nothing about food, do you? And I go, <laughs> uh, well, I do know something about making television. And, and then he high-fived me. And then and then it went on and on and on and on. And it, it was great. And, and he's he's a close friend. We've watched our kids grow up. And um, yeah, he's just a great guy and, and, and a, an incredible talent. But, you know, funny, at the time, no one knew who he was in 2004. It right, was, right. It was yeah, it was a gamble. Nobody. It was a gamble. And Fox was so nervous about the show that they uh, it sat on the shelf for six months. They wouldn't put it on the air. And then finally it went on the air and then it won its time period for the next four years. Yeah. Right. Uh, we got to have you back. We didn't even talk about the rock. We didn't even get to the Olympics. Wow. I can't wait to see this book reach hard lessons and learn truths from a lifetime in television. It is Arthur Smith. Thanks for taking the time, man. Thank you guys. It's been fun talking to you. Monkfish, please. Monkfish. Yeah. Right. Uh, fish King. Come here. You there's the monkfish. Overcooked? That's over. Oh, God almighty. 
You don't know that's overcooked? Sorry, chef. Hey, Brad. She doesn't know that's overcooked. More of the Pete McMurray Show next. <laughs> 